you have your Bibles, 1 John 2, verses 1 through 11 is our text for today. It'll also be on the screen behind me before you. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we have come to know him. Let me rephrase that. I messed that up. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, Father, you have shown love to us by giving us your word, and now you show love to us by allowing it to be preached, and we pray that you'll show love to us by allowing the Holy Spirit great power in our lives to go ahead and encourage and motivate and do whatever else he needs to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can you hear the tender father? I mean, he's speaking right there, and he's, he's so loving, he's so kind. And he just wants to present the gospel. That's what he's been doing in chapter 1 and even at the first two verses of chapter 2. And I know some of you know this, but there may be people here that were at the funeral yesterday and you've come back and you don't know this. Or, or maybe you're watching online and this gospel, you've been confused between what is it and what other people say. Let's just walk through it quickly and just hear the tender father, this man of such grace coming at us with, with kind words. Jesus is our creator. He has all the attributes of God. He was with the Father in the beginning. He was from the beginning. In the beginning, he was the one who used his mouth and also said, let there be. He is the sovereign one who has angels and divine beings that support him and serve him and glorify him. He and the Trinity made this joint declaration that he, the Son of God, was going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the planet was going to be his. Jesus is our creator. He showed his power by 
kickstarting the universe and then guiding it and providentially caring for it. And then he wowed the angels when he created man and woman in his own image. Jesus is secondly our Lord. He is the sovereign one who after creating uh, man and woman, you and me in his image, he is the one who has all authority and he is the one who has all wisdom and he is the one who said, here are my laws, here are my commandments, here are my precepts, here are my ways. He is the sovereign one who is to be obeyed. He's the sovereign one who is to be respected. More than that, Jesus is the sovereign one who is to be loved. So this is all just really good news that you have this king of kings who speaks the world into existence, custom makes us in his image, and then gives us the way in which we are to walk. The story gets negative for a moment here in that Jesus is our judge. He is holy and he is righteous. That means he has this inner passion for goodness, which means he has this inner passion for ungoodness, ungodliness, unrighteousness. And he's faithful and just, he says in chapter 1. That means not only does he have this, this passion on the inside, but he has this faithfulness about him, which means he will always grant blessing and reward and honor and glory to those who deserve it. Because he's faithful. And because he's just, he will always give demerit and curse and condemnation, uh, revenge, death to those who don't deserve it. So Jesus is our creator, Jesus is our Lord, Jesus is our judge, and him being our judge is no light matter, for he gives pictures of this in the Bible when Adam and Eve are ushered out of the garden, when fire falls upon Sodom and Gomorrah, when water falls upon the earth in Noah's day. We see this over and over again when plagues fall upon Pharaoh. It's just not a pretty picture when one finds himself without the merit needed and with way more demerit than they ever should have before the holy, just, faithful, and righteous God. But back to the good news, Jesus is our substitute. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had this thing called the covenant of redemption that Kurt's going to be talking about, which means before the creation, they knew all this was going to happen. Before all creation, they said, Everyone is going to deserve our demerit, but there's no way we're going down that road. We, don't, we could, because we're faithful and just and true and righteous. We hate, we hate wickedness. But the Father says, I will send the Son. The Son says, Dad, I'm going. The Spirit says, I'm going to do that work on the inside that Joe just prayed about, that people would be changed. And it's an incredible thing, this covenant of redemption. And they acted it out. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit hated Lucifer. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit loved their enemies, enemies around the whole world. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit said, we desire fellowship, and Jesus Christ came. That's what John says in chapter 1. He was manifest. He was revealed. We heard him. We saw him. We touched him. And what happened? We sing this song about the fountain of blood. There is a fountain. Jesus Christ earned our righteousness. Jesus Christ then received all the demerit of our sins upon his shoulders. 
and it was not primarily the Romans who killed Jesus. It's not primarily the Jews who killed Jesus. It's primarily the Father who killed Jesus. Yes, the one who sent his only begotten Son is the one who turned his face away. It was Jesus who was executed by his own Father. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit share the same affection for fellowship with convicts. This is the story of unusual love. This is agape love. This isn't fun, joyful, it feels good love. This is the kind of stuff that commitments are made from. One-way love, undeserving. Jesus is our substitute. And he grants forgiveness to many and he cleanses from all unrighteousness. That's chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, you saw those first two verses where it said, My little children. I write to you. It's the first time that John has used that phrase, my little children. This was the week of my birthday, and I'm now 53. I have this wave of seniority that is what rushed over me. I feel like an older, wiser man now. Maybe this is the year where I'll start being your patriarchal father, and I'll start calling you my little children. No? <laughs> Not yet? Then he says, I. It's the first time he writes in that first person. I'm writing this to you. You're reading the letter, and he's been talking about we. Now he's like, my children, my precious little children, I write to you, and here comes his fatherly admonition. Don't sin. Sin hurts. You know that. Some of you know how you have harmed those about you. Some of you know how you've been harmed. Sin is horrible. Don't sin. But then come those gracious words. If you do, you have an advocate. You presently have an advocate. You have a paraclete. And some of you are saying, hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, John's used that. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus said that's what the Holy Spirit is, the paraclete or the advocate is someone who shows up, and he is someone who speaks on the behalf of someone else. The advocate is someone who says, I've got compassion, love, mercy, grace, and pity, and now I'm here to be your counselor, comforter, encourager, or helper. And this is in the present tense. Right now in heaven, you have Satan or one of his little lackeys who love to do the work of accusation. Some of you like to partner with him in accusing the brethren. We ought not do that. If Jesus is satisfied, if the Father is satisfied, maybe we ought to be satisfied with the gifted righteousness that our brothers have, but that's a whole other sermon. Up in heaven, we have the accuser, Lucifer, with other accusers, and they love just hurling accusations at the beloved. But my little children, who ought not sin, it really hurts. When you do sin, know this. You have an advocate. You have someone who has the Father's heart, shares the Father's heart. He's before the throne of God above, and both he who is before the throne of God above, the Son, and he who is on the throne of God above, the Father, both of those are jointly excited about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And when Satan points the finger and says, do you see their sin? 
Jesus points his finger and says, do you see my palms? It's paid for. It's done. The Father says, I know. And both of them boot Lucifer out of the divine assembly. That is what you have, my little children. This is really good news. Can't you hear the tenderness? Don't sin. Don't go there. Don't partake. Run. Flee. Fight. It hurts so bad. But if you do, don't you dare lose heart. You presently have an advocate for you in your sins. And why is he able to be the advocate? Because he is, lastly, the propitiation. Fancy word that means he is the one who satisfies the wrath of God, expunges it, takes the guilt away, almost takes the look of judgmental anger on the face of the judge and replaces it with a smile of kindness. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, but that's not what this text says. This text says he still is. He is up there as if that fountain of blood is like one of those fountains that you see in garden that they just keep going and going and going and going. He's not dying again. That work is finished. But his work of advocacy and propitiation is ongoing. And even when the heavenly Father who is holy and righteous sees your sin and he rightly hates sin on the inside and his emotion may be, I should hate that sin. The Father and the Son have a conversation. He ever lives above to intercede for me. He's my advocate who turns away the wrath of God so that there is no more condemnation. There is no more wrath for us who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Can't you hear the tender father, John? Can't you hear the tender preacher, Joe, I hope you hear this. This is good news. This comes from your tender father. This is his word, God's word. He loves you so much. But John can be a little bit more than a Santa Claus figure. I mean, every now and then you watch Andy Griffith and you wish he'd just get mad. John can be a little bit more than just a tender grandfather. Because Jesus can be more than just a tender brother. And the Father can be more than just a tender father. I guess that means if I'm going to preach the text faithfully, then in humility, I have to explain the bad news. And so now we see, can you hear the son of thunder? I mean, that's what he was, remember? This is not some softy. This is a bold man who has become the gospel, I mean, the apostle of compassion because God has done a work in his heart, but he's able to still throw down when he needs to. The elderly father figure, in the words of a country song, may not be as good as he was, but is once as good as he was. The elderly father figure, John, may not have as much hair as he once had, may not move as quickly as he did yesterday. He may not have the muscle tone of his youth, and he may not stand as tall and erect as he once did. He may not have his younger, booming voice, but he's still a son of thunder, and don't you forget it. He's got it in his chest, and every now and then his children need to be reminded. And he is not bashful. Now remember, he loves his audience so much, 
He's calling them beloved children, but he will draw a line in the sand when he has to. He will call a spade a spade. He will call people out. He will bother someone, trouble someone, even offend someone out of love if it means saving their souls or protecting his family. And so sometimes you might understand this, some of you men who are growing older like me, us old men, um, man, we may not move at the same speed we once did, but there's a Dan, there's a moxie in there. You start messing with the bride, you start messing with the family. I may go down, but I'm going down taking you with me. I think that's what you're seeing here as he's a tender man, a gracious man, but he's got to make it clear who's in and who's out. And he's not doing it because he just enjoys pointing the finger and saying, you're going to hell. This is not him with the big sign going down the street proudly saying, turn or burn. This is him looking at his friends, looking at his audience, and with compassion being willing to hurt them in order to help them. That's what God's doing in his word today. I prayed with the elders that as I went down this road, that somehow my my body, my face, my tone, my eyes, my mouth, my smile, whatever, the pace at which I speak would convey tenderness and thunder. In 1 John 1, he's already said, and Scott read this to you, if we say we have fellowship with him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Or if we say we have sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There are lots of people who profess but do not possess. Jesus was the one who said, you're not even going to be able to figure it out in the church, so just let everybody grow up together and trust him at the end to figure out who is in and who's out. There are some people who are in who are really stumbling, and there are some people who look like, man, they are walking in the light. But they're angels of darkness clothed in robes of light. So I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. I mean, you have evidence that you see. You have fruit that you see. We make professions like the three just did here. But how do you know? This is where the son of thunder comes in. And he says, basically, four things are true of my little children. Four things of true are true of real believers who are in Christ. They're going to be the four things you see in yellow there. The first is, little children keep his commandments. You saw that in chapter 1. You see it again in chapter 2. It's plural. There are rules. There are precepts. There are the way, there's the way in which we're to walk. And true children, while we always stumble and while we always need to confess our sins, true children don't ignore God's commandments. They repent and then say, let's go back at it again. They repent and then they go back at it again. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so he puts this heart in us that now all of a sudden doesn't hate the good guidance of our coach, but starts saying, I keep failing. I can't hit the mark. 
I'm going back to you for sustenance. I'm going back to you for advocacy, for propitiation, for cleansing. I'm confessing my sin. But, oh, I want, I'm just not going to ignore those commandments. If you're a true Christian, he has changed your heart, and that which you hated, you now love, and now obedience is important to you. Secondly, little children keep his word. It says it right there in the text. This is singular. The idea that the commandments form part of his word, his unified logic in how we are to live. It's basically saying the same thing. Thirdly, little children walk in his way. I'm just taking this right out of the text again. This becomes clear. This is what it looks like. And they're all three about the same. You're starting to get the theme. He repeats it three times. In real estate, it's location, location, location. Here it's, you want to know you're a Christian? This is the moral test. In 1 John, you're going to see a doctrinal test, a moral test, and a relational test. I'll tell you that the last two are kind of the same, but let's go on. The moral test being, are you in Christ? Are you confessing your sins and walking in obedience? Are you confessing your sins and walking in his way? We mock WWJD, but that's kind of what you see here, is that Jesus had a way in which he walked, and yes, he is our Savior first. Then he becomes our example or our model. And we love him. We really like who he is, and we really love his wisdom. Why would we not want to walk in that way? Well, when we find ourselves not, what do we do? We confess our sins, and we repent, and run towards his arms. And then those same arms that we run towards that hugs us and says, I already covered that, I'm your advocate, and I'm your propitiation, are also the same arms who then point in the direction and say, come with me, follow me. True Christians, according to 1 John 2, keep his commandments, keep his word, and walk in his way. That word walk literally means walk around. So if you were to take a circle and go around a stadium, figuratively it means walk in a certain manner, order one's life. I want you to notice here, this is what we ought to do. Why ought we to do God's commandments? Because they're best. Because they're the way to blessing, because they're that which pleases him, because they're that which is best for our neighbors. Lots of reasons. This is what we ought to do. It's our necessity. It's our duty. It's our obligation. I see it right here, and I have friends that are so immersed in grace that they say, we have no oughts anymore. I don't see that in 1 John. This is what we ought to do and what we ought to do is walk in a certain way. Paul, the preacher of grace in Ephesians 2 said, for we are his workmanship. All right, get this straight. We're just the lump of wood. He's the worker. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should, same word, walk in them. He writes in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Ephesians 4, now I say this, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Ephesians 5, therefore as imitators of God, as beloved children, walk 
in the light. Ephesians 5, look carefully at then how, it you, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge. That's Colossians. And then 1 Thessalonians, we exhorted you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So are you getting this? You're putting these pieces together. If you are really a Christian, you are someone who confesses his sin, goes back to the commandments, loves them from the inside out, and then on the outside starts walking in a certain way. You start keeping those commandments. You start keeping the way of the Lord. This is what you ought to do, and this is what you want to do. You want to walk as you ought to walk. That's what it means to be a Christian. So what does that look like? What does it mean now to walk in the light? What does it mean to be cleansed from unrighteousness? What does it mean to walk in fellowship? What does it mean to not sin? What does it mean to keep the commandments? What does it mean to keep the word? How about we let him simplify it? And what he does is he says this, little children love. They love their neighbors. He starts with that word beloved. Once again, the tenderness. He talks about this primary commandment that is singular. Now he uses commandment in the singular. All that which is found in all the rules and principles that God would have us still keep, all that's found in those ten big ones that were written on the stony tablets, all those commandments are summarized in one chief commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that wasn't something simplistic that I kind of put them all together. That was what Jesus Christ, the author, said to you. So now he's really simplified it. You know you're in if you love. That's what it says. Pretty simple. This commandment is antique. Just in case you don't know what that means, it's not new and it is old. That's what it says there in the text. And in the Greek, you know what that means? It's not new, and it's old. It's just antique. It's singular. This command is also not novel, and it's modern or fresh. Jesus Christ is the one who said, a new commandment I give you, followed up by love your neighbors. Now, why would Jesus say it's old, but it's new? If I had more time to study this week, I would have spent more time here. I have a couple of options for you. Because maybe it's new because it was written out there, but now the Spirit has newly written it on your heart. Kind of like that. Maybe it's Jesus who brought the first commandment, love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, and put them together. For we know it was quite common in Jewish language for them to love God with all their heart and hate the Samaritans. Maybe it's new because of the manner in which this commandment is to be kept. As I have loved you, which means as Christ loved the church, which means till death do you part. But how? How do little children do this? It's because they have been enlightened. It says we are in him, he is in us, we abide in him, he abides in us, we are one with Christ, and what's true in him is now true in you because he's 
in you, his spirits in you, and the family traits are going to come out. There are just some of you high school young men who are going to be able to grow beards because your dad's hairy. There are others of you who are going to have a tough time growing hair on the top of your head because the family traits just don't help you in that area of life. Sometimes you wonder, how do these professional athletes have sons and grandsons who are professional athletes? I'll tell you why. DNA. I mean, you got also the environment. You have these other things. But ultimately, the family trait will be seen. Ultimately, the DNA will come out. Ultimately, the Christ that is in you will be shown. And he is so full of light and love that when he shines on the inside, the pores just leak it. And you start looking like the Christ who is now your new leader and master. You were under Lucifer. Now you're under the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, it comes out from the inside out. This is true. It's like the morning sun. I get to look out my window at home. And this morning it was beautiful as we looked towards the east and saw the sun rising. And if you're up before the sun rises, you can just start seeing the light as it comes across the horizon. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has no hope. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing in the world. The light has already begun its process of shining, and the darkness has no hope, ultimately. And that's what's true in you as a believer. Jesus Christ is that powerful. The Holy Spirit is that sovereign. And when he fruits you with love and joy and peace you're going to see the fruit of love come out because of the root which is firmly planted and fertilized and watered in the Holy Spirit. But not only are there little children, there are lying churchmen. Lying churchmen make a claim. It says in the text, you see it, I know him. Maybe language we use today is I'm a Christian. I'm a member of his family and church. I'm in union with him. I'm saved. I'm born again. I have Jesus in my heart. I am in the light. I'm in fellowship. I'm walking in the spirit. I am a child of God. But counterfeit Christians, first of all, proclaim sinlessness and dismiss confession. You saw that from chapter 1. Let's keep going. Secondly, counterfeit Christians have no interest in keeping his commandments. They say, I know him. They say, I abide in him. They have no interest in keeping his commandments. Thirdly, counterfeit Christians have no interest in love. They may say, I'm in the light, but in 1 John 2, 9 through 11, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother, ain't. That's the translation for it. It's still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the same word that Paul uses when he talks about the God of this world. Satan has blinded people's eyes. People are born in darkness. People are matured in darkness. People prefer the darkness. And people then have no clue that they're even in the darkness. And since they don't have the light, they're just characterized like people that are from the, the, the night of the living dead, where they're just groping about, stumbling about, moving about, and they don't even know that they're dead men walking. This is what the world is like. And ultimately, 
They don't know where they're going. And ultimately, they're going to stumble. They say, we're Christians. They make great confession, but they have no possession. They are like Judas. Let's get this straight. Judas was in the 12. Judas was called to be a minister. Judas probably was filled with the Spirit at times, or at least fallen upon by the Spirit, so that he could perform miracles. Judas was probably a great preacher. We know he was a great accountant. We know that when Jesus said someone's going to stumble, that all of the apostles looked around at one another. None of them were going, it's him. But Judas, though he proclaimed to love Jesus, though he even used his lips in an expression of love for Jesus, was filled with hatred for Jesus and ultimately for the disciples. He was a professor, but he didn't possess. And Jesus says there is going to come a day when someone will say, Jesus, I know you. I sang lots of songs about you. I was with your people. I had your word. I went to Bible study. had the fish on my car. Jesus, I know you. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's going to happen in the church. Some of you are wishing, where's the good news? Where's the happy message? I told you, I have to preach whatever the next text says. I'll wait for the next one to be really, really happy. This is God's word. In a sense, you're my little children. In a sense, you're the beloved. I don't speak strongly to harm you, but today I am willing to hurt you and make you, make you hate me in order to love someone. So for you who are here who care not about what I'm saying, I'll still love you. We will still love you. We care for you. We want the best for you. We are here to help you. And we will make this life the best that we can for you. Until you're meeting with the judge when you don't have the merit that you need. But for those here who care, for those here who say, I want to love more than I do. I don't love as much as I ought. I got a whole lot of self-love. That's really good news. It's really good news that your heart's going, oh, there's a commandment. There's a way I should walk. There is his, his word that I should follow. There's his love that I should have. And I find myself not wanting to dismiss my sin and pretend that I don't sin. I'm finding myself wanting to confess my sin. And the same book of the Bible that's telling you all this hard stuff is the exact same one last week who said, if we confess our sins, he doesn't lie. He's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unloving unrighteousness. That's what he does. And so I have good news for you. 
The heart will show itself. The DNA will come out. The family traits will be seen. Obedience is evidence. Compassion is evidence. And so therefore, all who are in Christ Jesus will simply confess their sins, run into his arms, feel his hug, see his hand pointing in a direction, and we're going to look around our family and say, come follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the good news for people who do not discount their sin, but now say, oh, how I love Christ in his ways, and I want to love other people like him. And so how now do we respond? Finally, a couple thoughts, and I'll be done in about four minutes. How does Jesus encourage you to love your spouse? Well, let's start with that nearest neighbor, the one that you are to leave even your parents and cleave to. This is your primary relationship in life. You are training your children to leave you and cleave. For those of you who care, this is how you spouse. This is how you do marriage. You focus first on yourself. Not serving yourself, but finding your own sin. You can't confess your spouse's. You're supposed to confess yours. Repent of your things you do wrong, commission. Your things you don't do well, omission. Need help? Humble yourself and ask for insight from your spouse. How do I sin against you? How can I confess and repent? Forgive your spouse. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Go out and start a bonfire with that record of wrongs. Refuse to bring it up again. Sacrifice for one another. This is what it means to love. So this is what it means to keep his commandments. So this is what it means to walk in his ways. So this is what it means to live outwardly that which he's doing inside. This is what it means to be a Christian husband or wife. You can't sit there and come to worship and say, oh, how I love Jesus, and live in apathy or abuse towards your spouse. You won't do it any longer. None. It won't happen anymore because the Holy Spirit that is within is going to inflame that desire for you to love your nearest neighbor. And so there's some repentance that has to go on in the households of God this week. Secondly, how does Jesus encourage you to parent? See yourself as the chiefest sinner in the house before you parent. See your children as your brothers and sisters in Christ. Discipline more than punish. Because Christ shows you more grace than he does justice. And you invest while the time is at hand because the day for your parenting will go away. Love your spouse and then love your children. How does Jesus encourage you next to be a child, to honor your parents? Obey. Respect, care. Andrew, if you're listening, please answer my phone calls. <laughs> Reconcile. If you're not going to be reconciled to your parents, may it be their doing and not your own. But you do everything you can to be the humblest one, bowing the knee, confessing sins, forgiving. Whether they reciprocate is none of your business, but we are going to do that as adult children with adult parents. Let's reconcile. Now, recognize that forgiveness and reconciliation does not mean trust. 
There may be times when you forgive, and there may be times when you have to reconcile, but you still may have to keep your family separate from those people who might harm them. That's legitimate love for family. But you're not going to live with schism and come to the day of your funeral and ultimately be here with a party over here and a party over there who can't talk to one another because they never reconciled. That's not loving. That's not the way Christ would have it. What does it mean then to be a neighbor? Yes, I skipped something. Well, be the best employer, employee, salesman, laborer, listener you can be. What does it mean to be a good resident citizen? I think that we're supposed to show love to the sojourners and the aliens in our midst. We're not supposed to look at them as invading the land. We're supposed to look at them as the mission field that Christ has brought to us. Yes, you're still able to fight for justice and be a land of laws. Good. I'm with you. And then those people that are here, we show incredible love to. Because not only are we going to love the sojourner, we're going to love even our enemies. Not because it's easy or fun, but because that's what Christ means when he says love. So sometimes your enemy may be the spouse that lives in your room, the ex-spouse that lives down the street. It may be a parent or an employer. It may be a legislator. It may be the unbeliever who's trying to counsel, cancel you. But we're going to love those people with our respect, with our kindness, with our words of charity, and our evangelistic risk-taking. Whether they love us back or not, this is what agape love looks like. But what did I skip? Where in the world should love be seen? Here. Jesus Christ gave this first new commandment on the night in which he washed his disciples' feet, on the night in which he gave them the last Lord's last Passover, on the night in which he marched them out of the room and towards the garden, and on the way in the night he expressed, this is the love that you're supposed to have for each other. And though I have given you a whole list of things you're supposed to, people you're supposed to love, and I can go to other scriptures, the primary point in 1 John 2 is you're supposed to love this. This is where those who don't have spouses who love them find love. Where those who don't have children or parents who love them, this is where we find love. When the world comes after us, this is what it's supposed to look like right here. And this is the place where reciprocal love is most enjoyed. Because you have a whole bunch of people, 250 people, outdoing one another and showing love. What an incredible fellowship it's going to be. So therefore, we hear the vows that were made. As we go forward, what does it mean now to be a good member it means stop thinking evil about one another. Give each other a break. Stop speaking evil of one another, whether that be gossip or slander. Use your words in ways that are encouraging. Use your thumbs in ways that are encouraging. Expect sin. Overlook a fault. Ask for forgiveness yourself. Pray for one another more. Prioritize time together. When you are together, open your chest and let people in and actually confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. And what happens if Horizon Church looks like a place where people are sacrificing and loving as Christ loved the church?
What an incredible family this is going to be. After all, this is the church. This is the place where the beloved are. This is the place where little children are found. May God help us to enjoy realizing, knowing that we know because we love one another.